Today we have Aaron Crocker, our copy chief, and Lynn Swayze, who is our offer consultant and part of our conversion architecture team. I'm Tom Meredith, the VP of Marketing and Innovation, and let's just hop right in and start talking about offering. This is the Customer Acquisition Show, the podcast that helps you turn complete strangers into repeat customers and grow your business. First, I guess a little bit of background for each of you. Lynn, I will let you go first. How did you get into becoming an offer consultant and end up at Tier 11? Yeah, so I my background's in direct response, copywriting, and marketing automation. My first job was in marketing, and I my first copy job was with information marketers. I've worked with a bunch of big names, and my brain has just constantly been, how do we improve this? How do we reposition you? How do we make this even sexier and more compelling and more convincing? Converting. It's evolved since 2015, and I'm here because of Aaron. <laughs> we met at Copy Chiefs. Yeah. All right, Aaron. Well, I am Aaron Crocker, the Copy Chief here at 311. I spent the first 20 years of my career in direct response copywriting, where I met Lynn, one of the more incredible individuals I've ever met in this world. She's brilliant, just freaking <laughs> genius. I was uh, introduced to Tom by way of another copywriter. Anna, if you're out there, good to see you, buddy. And Anna introduced me to Tom. And long story short, we ended up here about a year ago. Excellent. Yeah. Aaron started about a year ago and very quickly after he's like, got to hire Lynn. And you've got to be coming up on a year if you're not there already, right? Just past it. Just yep. past a year. All right. So I guess the place to start is at the beginning. And I think one of the more confusing things out there, there's no clear definition of is what is an offer? Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I wouldn't say there's a wrong definition, more just you need to have a firm definition. And here at Tier 11 with camp and with what we do with media buying and traffic, the clearest definition that we've come up with is an offer is what you are selling at any point in the buyer journey, early in the buyer journey, either top of funnel or early in awareness levels. That might be a lead magnet or it might be a quiz. Later on, it might be what you consider your core offer. It might be that product you want to sell. If it's e-commerce, it might be the bundle, it might be the course. And then later on, it might be a mastermind. It really is what you're selling it. Aaron, do you have your own definition? Well, I do. I mean, we all have our versions of definitions. For me, offers are mostly primarily thematic. What is the whole bundle that you're trying to communicate and sell? Most people erroneously think of an offer as nothing more than a price, right? And whatever else you're giving in premiums with the price. But for me, there's a couple of schools of thought, but school of thought number one is if copywriting is king, then the offer is queen. I kind of feel like it needs to be flipped, that everything emanates from the offer. And the phrase, it's the offer, stupid, is the reason that that exists. And I didn't phrase it, by the way. I didn't come up with that. So I think that the offer, everything operates off the offer. And if you don't know what the offer is, then you can't even begin. Offer has to... You have to know what it is. That's how I got into offers because I started writing copy. And as I worked with sometimes even big names, I was like, I can't make the copy good with this offer. <laughs> right. Can we rename it? Can I make up a unique mechanism? It's missing a premium. Can I add this? And some of what I learned about offers was I could write better copy. <laughs> what do you say, Aaron? Like we can't sprinkle so, magic pixie dust. Right. <laughs> Things aren't good. It's fair to say that an offer then is like a combination of the product, the price, of course, and then like the messaging that's specific to that individual and where they are in their buyer journey to elicit. Is that how you yeah. phrase it? Yes and no. I think when it comes to optimization, I like to separate them just because 
that lets us do more testing. If the offer itself is, or not the offer, let's say the product, right? What it is you're selling in this funnel step is good. We've got a good name. It's got an urgency mechanism or a scarcity mechanism. It's got a premium. It's got a guarantee, et cetera, et cetera. It's optimized. We know that what the features of it are good. It's exactly what we know that the audience wants. I don't want to mess with it. I'm going to now work on the copy. And that's where we're going to change headlines and hooks and test the main, to Aaron's point, the theme, the emotional theme that we're going with, or we're going to test a special offer or different pricing. I think of those things as separate, but I would say most copywriters probably don't because usually they're a bundle. I just really like what Lynn says about an offer. And it's a product that is delivered at any stage of a given funnel. And it's funnel specific. It's audience specific. It's messaging specific and offers can change left and right. But Clayton Makepeace sums up an offer like this. And if you don't know the name Clayton Makepeace, he is one of the highest paid copywriters now deceased, bless his heart and rest his soul. But his offer, he says, your offer is your main product plus the premiums, that is the freebies you're giving, plus your price and then your delivery details. Okay. Offer is main product, premiums, price, and delivery details. I think the product and the price are pretty obvious in that. How would you define, like give some examples of premiums or delivery details? Premiums are any bonus extra to how your buyers might perceive being bonus or extra to that main core offer. What's interesting about premiums is that big names like Agora, for example, will sell the premium as a way to get more purchases of their core offer, which is their subscription. There's always tricks to these things. But a premium, let's say we're selling a course, right? A premium on the first page, not talking upsells or anything, but on that first page might be, oh, by the way, you're also getting our template of ads, or you're also going to get this thing, this extra video or behind the scenes look, or usually it's something, whether we're talking about premiums or upsells, it's got to be something that makes the buyer get the result faster, get it easier with less effort. Uh, I already said faster, easier, get a better result. Keep those things in mind. And premiums can either increase scarcity or increase urgency. So you can also use premiums to say, hey, the first five people who act, they get this extra bonus. And that counts too as a premium. Yeah. Would you add anything else, Aaron, or any uh, favorites that you like? Yeah. I mean, one of the supplement products that Lynn and I worked on, it was the bottle of pills. You can upsell to and get a percentage off if you get another bottle of pills. But also the premiums became free reports on how this supplement works. And we knock off a couple of those free reports to go with the sale of the actual dietary supplement. Right. Was it like a workout or like a nutrition plan or things that helped right. that were tangential? We know they're already interested in their weight, right? Because of the nature of this particular supplement is a metabolic hormone kind of supplement on the weight loss space. We kind of know their sphere of intent and what they're interested in and what they want us adding something else. Yeah, it wasn't another supplement, but it was workout or diet plan that is proven to work. Other foods you should and shouldn't eat, other supplements you should or shouldn't take. And all of these things, of course, would lead back to further products and whatnot. They were sales tools in themselves, but pitched as extremely valuable. And what you want with a premium is that for some buyers, that's going to be what they buy, right? Where they're like, I just want this. Like, I don't care about this other thing, but I want this. 
And that's enough to get them engaged. It's really adding all of the paths possible, what I call stacking the deck, which I don't think that means anything. But we want to try to make it so that we've done everything possible to get the conversion. Great. How about the delivery details? So delivery details could be everything that it takes to deliver the product, right? You'll get an instant download, right? You'll get instant access to our website. You'll get instant follow-up emails. Anything that requires... So is delivery details just having that mechanism or is it actually a section of copy that we would include on the page? Well, as a copywriter, as Lynn, everything has to be enticing, right? And it has to be as exciting as you can make it. While everybody knows that you can get instant access to the intranet or whatever, but if you're selling stocks, well, you get instant access to our daily updates and not available to the public. And anything you can do to make your delivery details more exciting, the better. It's often missed in copy, right? It's lazy copy oftentimes. And, uh, but a good copywriter or someone who's well-trained in the art, and I hate to use the word seduction, but hey, that's kind of what it is, right? You can use indoctrination. Well, I mean... <laughs> is that better? <laughs> is that any better? <laughs> well, I, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll say it this way. <laughs> no, it's not, Lynn. All people, everybody loves an element of seduction in their life, right? And because it definitely is, it it brings you out of the norm. Anything you can uptick the level of intensity, uh, seduction, persuasion, however you want to frame it, ultimately boils down to how can I make this delivery copy exciting and uh, get their blood rate up? Right, because no one wants to add it to cart. Nobody wants, think about what we usually have as the driving call to action. No one wants to add something to the cart. Nobody really wants to purchase anything. The more we can make those actions that we want them to take benefit-driven, hey, this is going to benefit you, here's why. Oh yeah, a reminder, here's why. This is going to change your life, get you the results, magic wand, (laughs) the better. Those last two pieces that you guys hit on of premiums and details are really about motivating the action, right? Or giving... Mm-hmm. The delivery details is almost like a trust building, like as well, potentially, if it's like. Absolutely. Yeah. People don't like unknowns. So it's also a little bit of adding to the list of knowns, right? In our mind, anything that's known is pleasure, not pleasurable, but pleasure. Anything that's unknown is pain. The more we can say, hey, after you click the button, you're going to get XYZ and you're going to be subscribed to our insider list. And and then from there on out, every week, you're going to get the best stock tips known to man. Again, I'm making stuff up. But the more you can preframe those things, yes, it, it adds more copy. It looks long, but it serves a psychological purpose of making these things known. They know when they click the button, what happens next. They know after they order that their money is not just going to go into a black hole. We might assume that people have trust, but this is the internet, right? Um, unfortunately, people don't. This is just another tool we have in our toolbox to increase conversions because some people won't act because they're scared. They're afraid of being scammed. Right. It's just how it goes. I think earlier, maybe both of you or definitely Aaron talked about the offer at different levels of the funnel. I know we want to talk a little bit about awareness levels. Who wants to dive in headfirst into the awareness levels and levels of the funnel? Those are different. That's important. I appreciate that you mentioned that. How are they different? Awareness levels are, and Aaron, I'd love to hear your take on this. There's psychological frames internal to the customer that may have nothing to do with your funnel. At least that's how I view it, right? They're going on their own journey about what's going on in their life and their problems and their solutions and what's possible, et cetera. Limiting beliefs, all that jazz. That's internal to them. 
and they're going through it and we can make offers and marketing and other stuff to pull them through, like pull them through faster. They don't need to wallow for 10 years. They can figure out through our marketing. Whereas funnel stages, tofu, mofu, bofu, if you will, if you're familiar with the digital marketer, right? Top of funnel, middle funnel, bottom of funnel. Those are actually our funnel steps. Those are how we kind of put those awareness stages into actions that are systematic and repeatable. But a lot of people have pointed out, does everybody really go through all funnel steps? No, of course not. And the point of a funnel is not necessarily, I mean, it's not necessarily to pull them through, like in the way that we build funnels. If we're doing ads and we're direct offer, buy this course, get this upsell, get this upsell, they're going to go through it because they have to. But if we're talking about funnel as like, oh, here's a quiz, which then goes to a lead magnet, which then goes to a supplement, they may not because they may have the options to back out at any time and come back in. I think out the gate, those two distinctions are important. It's complex, but I'm going to say it is what it is a lot. It depends and it is what it is. Like awareness levels. Erin, what would you say as the emotion king about the awareness levels and Eugene Schwartz? Well, I mean, yeah. If the viewer knows of Eugene Schwartz, they know these five levels of awareness. If you don't know who Eugene Schwartz is, you're behind. You'll want to catch up and you'll want to get his book, Breakthrough Advertising, for certain. But to Lynn's point, the awareness levels are absolutely customer-centric. They are what the customer owns Mm -hmm. or doesn't own. It's how they feel or don't feel. It's the fear they have or the pleasure they gain, right? And at the very base level number one, where the client is unaware and you don't even know you have a problem, you are emotionally agnostic. You don't care, right? There's just nothing to care about. But then in the frame of the hero's journey, suddenly you have a disruptive message. Somebody comes along and disrupts your little world of peace. And then suddenly you understand you have a problem. And now that problem... And again, that may not be us. Right. <laughs> that might not be us. It might be. We have a disruptor ad and point something out, but it might just be internal to them. That's absolutely right. People find their own journeys, to Lynn's point, right? Other people, again, back to the hero's journey framework, you may know that you have a problem, but it takes a mentor sometimes to get you to move across the decision threshold, right? And we're just a bundle of emotional inconsistencies which kind of makes it consistent, right? If you have a problem and you are aware of the problem, suddenly you need a solution and suddenly you're solution aware. And if you know that there's a solution out there, then you want to know which solution works best. And then suddenly you're product aware, right? Now you're searching for that product or service to solve your problem. And then ultimately there's your most aware and in which case you've made a purchase and or need reasons to purchase again. That's about as succinct as it gets in the terms of these five levels of awareness. It can get much more complicated. <laughs> we could riff on this all day. <laughs> now, Tom, are we, I don't know if we're able to share camp graphic. Probably not. But if we could, if you look at our camp system methodology framework, we outline pretty clearly those awareness levels, what that means for ads and other activities, because it, it really is that important. I mean, I can even plan like a whole content calendar, right? Based on just awareness levels. Yeah. We can design offers based on awareness levels. We can have the same offer and have different copy based on these awareness levels. There, it, It's easy to just look at it and think, oh yeah, whatever. It's just another stupid marketer thing, but it really is everything. Understanding this is everything. It's the key. Yeah. I think awareness level as a former creative is like one of the most important parts of marketing and developing creative for advertising. And I'm sure we'll do plenty more like YouTube lives around awareness levels. Cause I mean, it's my passion as well, coming more from a video guy, but scripting for how people need to be 
handheld at each of these different awareness levels is kind of really what led to a lot of our success. Going back to awareness levels a little bit, how do they change based off the awareness level? I mean, they change with coffee, right? But there are some offers that are better at some awareness levels than others. For example, one I see often is like, of course, my background's in agencies and tech agencies, right? So they'll put out a white paper and expect fresh leads to who may not even know they have a problem to download this white paper. And that's the only thing they're going to scale their business with. Well, white paper is really a post-problem aware lead magnet, you know, an offer. That's really more for someone who's solution aware, even product aware, the way that white papers are built. There's some offers, quizzes are great for early, unaware, desire aware, problem aware leads. A quiz, I would put it earlier. I mean, obviously top of funnel because it'd be a first step, but I put it earlier in the awareness stages. You can design a quiz for the later stages, but that's more like a pre-qualification and not the type of thing you'd scale with. But most offers, I don't know, would you say, Aaron, that most things we can tailor in copy? I think it goes back to your beautiful definition that it's uh, an offer is what it is at any given level of the funnel, right? An offer to a level one unaware client is definitely going to be different than a level four or five client. It's just drastically different. Let me give a beautiful example. When we were going back and forth on our current camp graphic as to whether or not to launch with level one as unaware, right? We had some debate as to whether or not anybody's unaware of anything anymore in today's society. I was one of our clients' channels and ended up seeing a solution for the car after you've washed it, that you apply it on there. And I was completely unaware of what this product did. I had no idea that what this thing was going to do is going to go in and fill in the rivets and the gaps that's naturally in a paint job and smooths it out. And I was like, I've never heard of that. So you weren't aware that you had a desire right. that... I was totally um, unaware. Desire and problem are kind of in the same stage. Todd Brown will say there's both. You can either have what they want or the problem. But you weren't aware you had a desire to right. have these little scratches filled in. And you weren't aware that you had a problem that you don't have anything that performs this function. Right. And so that's where uh, it does exist. Well, it did for me. Well, it has yeah, to. Yeah, of course. I mean, <clears throat> is it worth your marketing spend? I think that's where I sit is like, if I'm advising someone and they have limited marketing spend, I mean, e-commerce and service are a little bit different. There's that to keep in mind. E-commerce, I think there's more room for unaware and targeting unaware to your point, Aaron. But if it's like an info marketer, an agency, I'm not going to suggest that they spend right. most of their money on unaware because that is going to be a waste of ad spend and marketing spend. I think there's that nuance. Yay, more complexity. <laughs> that nuance and, to keep in mind that it is not one size yeah. fits all. And unaware isn't likely how like the Facebook and Google algorithms work anyway, because they're trying to find people who at least are problem aware. That's a good point. It is a good point. I mean, it doesn't know who doesn't know. But it right. knows who does. Right. Who has tangential yeah, desires, right? Oh, hey, you're interested in car stuff. Well, you don't have a problem, but you do have desires to have a nice car and to feel proud about your car or, you know, make your sports car look better. They can tailor, you can tailor your message based on that. It goes back to this idea of like in the work that we do in the agency, we're most likely not reaching true unaware audiences. Interesting. We've talked about offers a little bit at different stages of the awareness levels. Would you say that the offers? don't change, but like the mechanism of delivery of the offer changes? Is that simplifying it too much? I think more often than not, copy how we go about it, how we target. But if the offer is just what you're selling at any point, I mean, someone's not going to change 
their course, for example, entirely based on the different awareness, we're going to change the copy, right? We might change the premiums, but we're not going to change the unique mechanism. We're not going to change the name of it. We're not going to change the deliverables, right? We're going to change the copy. We're going to change the mechanism of approaching the audience for the most part. And like you mentioned, it could be like a white paper, a quiz, any other variety of offer tools in your toolbox. Do you have a list, Aaron, of all the different ways? I'm just sitting here. Dozens. You know, if you hear the rat-a-tat-tat of my fingers on the, the keyboard, I mean, on the table, I'm sitting here doing this thinking during this whole time. I mean, look, I mean, if you have a single offer that you're, single product that you're offering, then you could probably side with the offer doesn't really change, the copy changes to reflect the offer. But if you have multiple SKUs, now you've got a different animal. Right. And some of our clients have 500 SKUs, in which case you're going to have a whole heck of a lot of potential different offers. So all, most all offers, though, I think they have a framework that we operate around. But to Len's point, I think it changes based on the needs in a specific part of the funnel. That's as well said as I'd ever heard it, Len, when I read your definition of it. We've talked a lot about what an offer is or potentially is. What are like some common offer mistakes that you see? We already mentioned premium, already mentioned delivery details, guarantees. I am always either saying, hey, you need guarantees or this guarantee needs a name. (laughs) It needs a little bit better copy. I have some frameworks that I love for that, for basically pre-framing and reminding them of their success cues, subjection busting. If you're not doing it in the copy, having those FAQs helps. Commodity naming and commodity positioning, not having unique mechanism that like makes your differentiated, not having a great name. I don't know. I think of a really generic name. 30-day weight loss program. Everybody has a 30-day weight loss program. What makes yours different? If I Googled, give me a 30-day weight loss program, I'm going to find a hundred of those that are free. Probably a portion that are more compelling and have more proof and all that kind of stuff. Having that unique naming, yes, it's kitschy, but we do it for a reason. You know, we do it for differentiation. Yeah, I think some of those things, what would you add? I have more, but do you have any, Aaron, that you're like, add this? My two primary things when it comes to offer is just clarity. What the heck is it you're offering, right? Again, it kind of goes back to the beginning of our meeting here and that if you don't know what you're offering, it, you, you can't build excitement around it. And if it's weak, if it's a weak offer, now how do you build it up? right? If the offer just isn't ever going to work, you want to know that right now as fast as humanly possible. How do you test an offer and how do you get it proved, disproved as quickly as humanly possible is number one for me. But on the back end, this is a bit of a sidebar. So it is offer specific, but it's mostly the checkout page. Once you get someone on that checkout page, abandoned carts, I'm going to bet you dimes to dollars that the biggest abandoned cart reason is lack of testimonies on that page. I said that. And really boring, like featureless with no benefit language. Yeah. I mean, in my little copywriting side of the world, I want all that excitement that got them there to continue through purchase. Yep. That's often missing. When I do offer reviews and interviews, about every time. Proof is almost always just across the board. And there's lots of different types of proof, but it's almost always lacking. But where it's not lacking? Substantially. Let me tell you where it's never lacking in a direct mail piece that you open, because in that offer spread, you're going to have everything. You're going to have all the supplements, you're going to have all the free reports, you're going to have all the ancillary things that you can offer, and then you're going to have testimonies everywhere. And that offer spread is what creates the whole product, the uh, whole offer. In the digital world, long copy. 
(laughs) But it works. I think that's the hard part with what we're doing with ads and TikTok and whatnot. We need to be concise. But at some point, somewhere in the nurturing journey, there has to be copy. There has to be proof. There has to be those psychological triggers. And we aren't writing long copy and putting these things in just to see our words on the page. Your point, there are psychological and emotional reasons why these elements exist and why they work. How long are direct mail packages? It could be anywhere from a front and back page to a MAGA log that could be 32 pages long. Some of them's longer than that. You're not going out and spending digital dollars. You're spending print dollars. And we're talking about a serious chunk of change now. But they would not dare make the mistake that most digital marketers make when it comes to their offer on the back end, when it comes to the order. So, yeah. Pulling on that thread a little bit, Aaron, what are the top things that a digital marketer can learn from a direct mail marketer? Dude, let me tell you something. I am a digital marketer today because of direct mail. And digital marketing is where speed happens, right? Direct mail is still king of the hill when it comes to ROI. I mean, every direct mail company out there that knows their stuff has got their free lead magnets out there showing how, and I've got them in mass if you care to see them, how digital marketing, I mean, how a direct mail outperforms email, outperforms digital marketing, outperforms, outperforms, outperforms. Why? Does still is the ninety percent open rate still apply to direct mail? Yeah, it does. Why? Yeah. I mean, how many emails are you going to get a day? Right? And how many what's the average email open rate? 18, 25%. But how many times is that mailbox open today? Then you're going to open that mailbox and you're going to physically put your hand on it. And then you have to decide, do you keep it or trash it? But at least you get a shot. And this is where Gary Benzavinga's words always ring true. And this is one of those things, Tom, that the uh, digital world can learn from a classic, brilliant copywriting man who learned, who earned his way through direct mail. And that is you make your offer itself your advertisement itself, your direct mail piece itself valuable. And if you can make all of those valuable, then you don't get them tossed as much. I would say the very first thing a digital marketer could do that could learn from the world of direct mail is to make your ad itself valuable. Entertaining, anything you can do to get somebody to hang around another 60 seconds. But with intent. I mean, I think that's what is often missed is value but with the right intent, entertaining the wrong people, great, it's eyeballs. But if they don't have the intent and they're not going to pull through, you've just wasted time, money, effort, audience. And that's the hard part, right? Is how to do all of these things at once, how to induce curiosity and entertainment and add value while also not looking like you're selling sham wow, right? <laughs> like, how, how do we do? Although I, I did read a thread the other day about how info marketing ads work for older demographics. That was fun. Actually, it, it kind of brings us back to what can direct, what can digital marketers learn from direct mail? Well, what can direct mail learn from digital marketing? You can learn what works fast, cheap, and then put it in direct mail. Instead of uh, trying to spend thousands and millions of dollars on a direct mail piece without it being tested, you can test it really quick online. We're coming up kind of on the end here. What are some last thoughts? And you could go for a little bit here if you have specific things you want to talk about. Just make sure you're clear on your offer. Once you're clear on your offer, then make sure that you maximize your offer through good copy. Once you have a good offer, the very next thing, here's your order. You got to have your offer down. But then to get your offer down, you got to know who your list is. It's typically considered list offer headline, in which case you can kind of build a framework, but you got to know where you're starting from. 
I would say, based on my experiences, you know, reviewing offers for our clients and all the offers I've worked on, is that if your marketing isn't working, if your advertising isn't working, I have not yet reviewed an offer in a campaign where the offer couldn't be strengthened. There weren't at least five things that were critical that were missing. Guarantees, proof, premiums, poor naming. It is just essential. I would love to see more brands reviewing their offer before they scale, before they scale traffic or right as soon as they notice problems. Because an offer that might have worked five years ago really won't work today. And you have to keep refreshing these things. The saying in direct response is that offers want to die. And it's true. You have to keep optimizing and refreshing and you have to have all the elements there. I think on top of all the the things that we do and the levers we can pull in media buying, offers are still where it's at. There, There comes a point where we can only optimize so much. And if the offer isn't where it should be, it's just not going to work. Well, thanks, Aaron and Lynn, for joining us on this offer roundtable. If you have questions about your offer or want to inquire about working with Tier 11, reach out at tier11.com. And we have a little form that you can fill out and we'll hop on a call and talk about seeing if we can work with you on any part of your buying funnel. Thanks for listening to the Customer Acquisition Show. Take the next step toward growing your customer base. Visit tier11.com and request your customized growth plan. And remember to hit the follow button so you can be notified of future episodes.